Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Uh, as I said, my name is Brad. I'm from Gold Coast up there at Elevation on Gold Coast, married to a, the most beautiful woman in the world, Shara, who unfortunately can't be with me here today. She's on team up there this morning, but uh, she's a light of my life. High school sweetheart's been married 26 years this year and uh, four very beautiful kids. We've got Eden, who, her, her and her husband run our youth mission on the Gold Coast, also gave me my first grandchild. And I know that you're all sitting out there going, you look way too young to have a grandchild. And I totally agree with you. And, uh, but yeah, here I am, 45 and a grandfather so uh, I've got Noah uh, does a phenomenal job in our youth ministry as well We've got Eva who's a 16 year old and I would love your prayers as I parent a 16 year old and uh, if you've got a book you give me the book but uh, I read a book read a book that said changing your kids by Friday what is it having your kid by Friday and I'm still yet to find that Friday but um and then I got Esther, who, who's my travel companion. She's in the, enjoying your kids' ministry today. So uh, that's my family. Live on the Gold Coast. I've uh, been in ministry for 15 years now, full-time ministry, 15 years. Uh, January this year, uh, to, to January uh, 16th this year, I was actually, uh, what's the word? I won't say, in, uh, I was enlisted into the Australian Defence Force full-time as I studying to be a chaplain in the Australian Defence Force in the Army Service. And uh, they, they, they're paying, in other words, they're paying me to complete my master's or my, my bachelor of theology. And then when I finish that halfway through next year, I will be posted anywhere in Australia to serve our men and women and help them be an answer to them when they're in their hope. And so that's my role now. So I'm two days a week with Elevation on the Gold Coast and look after the cafe team and the host team. And uh, we do a phenomenal job up there. And I love Miles and Bonnie, our pastors, Miles and Bonnie. Uh, one, honestly, one of the greatest leaders that I've ever, that I've ever uh, been led by and served under. And I know he's probably, he's probably going to listen to this. So A, I need a pay rise. And B, you're the best, Miles and Bonnie, and we love you. And uh, uh, doing a great job. I love their family, Abby and the boys as well. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, uh, if you're new here, I'd love to take a moment just to walk you to Elevation, particularly online. If you're online and you found your way here, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, and I think over the last few weeks, we've been in a series, uh, I'm assuming down here as well, we've been in a series called Go. Is that right? Am I right? That's right. Uh, uh, and the heart behind this series is to encourage us all to activate our faith. That's, that's been the, literally been the heart of this series, has been to activate our faith. And I believe there is about to be a fresh wave of the supernatural in our nation. I'll say that again. I believe there is about to be a fresh wave of the supernatural in our nation. And, and I believe to steward that move well, we need to ensure that we activate or put, our, put activity to that faith. You know, one of the, I was in a, a Holy Spirit masterclass with a great Tim Hall a couple of weeks ago and I said, Tim Hall, how do, we, how do we steward a move of God? Because I don't want to be a part of a church or a movement that has a move of God one week and then it's gone the next. How do we steward that? And didn't quite answer me, but, uh, but I kind of sit there and think, I think a part of stewarding a move of God is we've got to put a little bit of activity, not, not just have faith, we've got to put some activity with that faith. In fact, James chapter 2 and verse 14, if you don't know much about your Bible, James, he's the honest friend. He's the one that tells you you've got a booger in your nose. He's the one that tells you that you've de- developed a third chin over summer. He's, he's just that honest friend. If you read the book of James, it is so honest. If, you don't, if you're not prepared to be honest with your Christian faith, don't read James. And he says this in James chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brother, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
So the Gospel of Luke tells a story about a man who was sitting beside uh, the road and upon hearing that Jesus was nearby, lets out his big shout, Son of David, have mercy on my soul. The The Bible says Jesus walks over to him and says, what can I do for you? And he says, I have no vision. I want to be able to see it. Uh, 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 and, 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 and Jesus heals him. Luke also tells us about a, a story about a woman who had for several years, I think over seven years, had an issue of blood uh, uh, for, for a lot of times that she'd seen many, many uh, uh, physicians and all, all, uh, all those types of things. And, and she comes and, and she, she goes through this. Uh, the Bible says Jesus is in town. It kind of like Bieber fever has hit. Jesus has kind of got this uh, a huge amount of people around him and you can't get to him. So she fights her way through this crowd. And the Bible says that she touches the hem of his garment and immediately she's healed. And both of these people had faith to believe. Both of these people had faith to believe that Jesus could change their circumstance. But it wasn't just faith that changed their circumstance. It was the fact that for the blind man, it was a shout that said, Son of David, have mercy on my soul. And for the woman, it was an act of, uh, it was activity. It was, wasn't just faith, it was activity that would, would make her way through years and years of disappointment, but make her way through a crowd as they just flocked to Him because she had to put a little bit of activity to her faith. And both of these people received their miracle when they added works to their faith. It, it, I, I remember my first, my first encounter with the law Anyone, like, I was a good boy, so this is not going anywhere. Uh, but, but I remember $2 coins were introduced into the, into the currency of Australia. Went from these green $2 notes to, 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 to $2 coins. And, and I, I sit on my couch, I was a very bored teenager. Uh, I sit on my couch and, I, and I, I'm like, man, these look a little bit like a five cent piece. And then I got two five cent pieces and I, and I stuck them together. And I'm like, wow, that's about the size and the thickness of a $2 coin. And then I went to the hardware store and I got a bit of gold spray paint. And I was spray painting them gold. I'm like, that's a little bit like it. And so, so me and my mates, we, we, we went, got as many five cent pieces as we could. Super and off we went to town looking for the most busiest place we could because who, who's got time to count money when there's 30 customers there? Three minutes later, we were escorted out by the police going, get out of here, you little. <laughs> Trying to buy 50 bucks with the fish and chips with 15 cents or 20 cents. And my, my story is, my, 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 the thing I'm trying to, my point is that, hey, it, it's both sides of the coin that make it value. It's not just one side, you know, the head's going to have a tail, the tail's going to have a head. That's where, that's, where the va- that's where the value of the coin is. And I love what William Booth says. He says, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of men walking, first faith and then works, and then faith again and then works again until they scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. And that's why I love this series, because it's a reminder that we need to activate our faith. And so over the last few weeks, we've had this series of conversations that will help us encourage us to activate our faith. And some of us, you know, some of these topics have included uh, activating our faith and becoming people of influence. You know, Craig Rochelle, phenomenal message by Pastor Craig Rochelle and reaching the lost and going on mission and loving your neighbour. And this week, I get the great privilege of, uh, of talking about going and making disciples. And if we're looking to go and make disciples, it would make sense to turn to, I think, the passage of Scripture in the Gospel in Matthew, the title, The Great Commission, uh, which is found in Matthew 28. And I'm a, uh, here's the deal. I'm a little bit, you're learning a lot about me this morning, right? You ready for this? I'm a little bit of an interesting facts kind of guy. 
So the whole Sunday school thing kind of resonates with me because I grew up in a whole, in a, here's my story. I grew up in a Christian home through a lens of experience. And over the last probably season of my life, I've been through a, a bit of a, I wouldn't say deconstruction, but I've been adding other lenses to my experience because I think there's more than one lens of we're gonna, how we've got to look through theology. And so I've, I've enjoyed reading the Bible and I've enjoyed going to Bible college and learning things. So I, can I encourage you? The Bible is not boring. It, and studying and doing things like school, like Sunday school, that helps you to understand why. And so I'm a bit of an interesting facts kind of guy and I'm going to throw some interesting facts at you this morning. Is that okay? That's good. Bit of, is that okay? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we go. Uh, uh, this conversation takes place. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, it's in Matthew 28. And this is the first time that Jesus is kind of uh, having conversation with his disciples. There's 11 of them. Uh, we, all, we, we all know what's happened to Judas. If not, go read, go read that. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, uh, but, you know, talk about a bit of an awkward moment. It's the first time Jesus has probably seen his, his disciples after some of them uh, literally just ignored him or, or kind of walked away from him. Uh, this conversation takes place on a mountain. And if you read Matthew carefully, you would have picked up that the author of Matthew, Matthew doesn't mind telling the reader that whatever is recorded as happening, is happening on a mountain. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, six times Matthew uses this mountain in his Gospel. Uh, and so Matthew isn't a lover of trees or scenery. He's not the first greenie that's out there in the, in the history of mankind. It's not that. But what Matthew is trying to do is creating what theologians call a literary device, where it's a, it's a technique, it's a, it's a style, it's a, it's a strategy for the author to, to embrace the writing or to, to, to enhance their writing. So for Matthew, the mountains is a literary device that aids his development, expressing key theological themes to the reader. So, that, that's, that when, so when Matthew wants to, to express a key theological theme to the reader, he'll put in the fact that it's on a mountain. So I'm going to give you an example of this. Are you ready for this? So when, when Matthew talks about Jesus giving the, um, uh, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew introduces the theme that Jesus is the new Moses. That's what he's doing. That's, that's, that's the point he's trying to get across here. He's trying to get across, hey, you know what? Just like Moses went to a mountain to get how to live, Jesus calls his people to the mountain because he's going to give them this new way of living. And that's how we see this. this. And so, so Matthew's trying to, to, to show that the readers that, hey, Jesus is the new Moses. The, he was the deliverer in the Old Testament. Here is the deliverer in the New Testament. Matthew is doing the same here. He's, he's using a mountain motive to express a theological theme to the reader. Uh, that, that this is how you and I are to live. So, so when it says that he went to the mountain to give this great commission, he's, he's trying to express to us, hey, it's important. That I'm trying to get a, a, a key theological uh, uh, key across here. This is important for us to be disciple makers. And we picture Jesus, uh, here's another one. We, we kind of picture at the, at the conclusion of this, we picture Jesus ascending after he gives his great commission. But, but unfortunately, that didn't happen because the Bible says that, that he told the, the women at the, the, at the tomb, hey, tell my, my disciples to meet me on a mountain in Galilee. But Jesus ascends on a mountain in Jerusalem. So all through my life, I've kind of pictured that Jesus gives this great big commission. And then he goes, ooh, that didn't happen. Geographically, it can't happen. I think, I think Galilee, Jerusalem's like 160 or 180 kilometres away. So just some interesting facts for you to just, to, it's got no relevance to anything, but it does. But anyway, you, you, you know what I mean. Uh, and so here we are. 
uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love this here. We're going to kind of dig in here. And the first thing here is that Jesus commissions them and He commissions us. Because I firmly believe the Bible's for them, but the Bible's also for us. And firstly, He commissions them and then He commissions, and so He's commissioning us. And before we look at two specific things about discipleship that the author wants us to see in this Scripture, I think it's important to establish another point that the author presents to us here. So I've been in church for many, many years and, 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 and I've preached this message many, many times myself, but I always start with the go therefore part. But as I've been studying this in depth and this whole thing of discipleship, it's a real passion of mine. We miss, when we start at verse 18 or verse whatever that verse is, we kind of, we miss something of great importance. See, as I've studied this scripture this week and what I've discovered is that scholars would like us to consider that verse 19 is actually a continuation in verse 18. And again, if we start verse 19, we kind of miss something that is of real significance. It's almost like forgetting to put self-raising flour in the cake. If we go straight to the verse 19, it's like, hey, yeah, but understand. no, no, you can't do that. You've got to actually look at verse 18. And verse 18 says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And so Matthean scholars will have us believe that when we see this, this word therefore, in this particular scripture, it is placed there to notify us of a continuing thought. We see full stops, we see commas, we see, but, but the Bible wasn't written like that. And so here in this thought, the, 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 what Matthew's trying to say to us is, hey, there's no stop at the end of 18. It's a continued thought. It's a continued thought. It's important because the author wants us to interpret the significance that as we go and make disciples, we are commissioned to go with the full authority of God. See, before being a, 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 a worker for the church, I was what they call a local laws officer up in Brisbane. It's a technical word for parking officer. That was my job. I used to go around and give people tickets. Little old ladies who couldn't get in their car quick enough. Oh, yep, there you go, 100 bucks. That was me. Hey, we all got to make a living. Don't hate, appreciate. Oh, I wasn't that bad. One of the, one of the courses they first made me do was what they called an authorised officers, authorised officers course, which enabled me to go anywhere in, in the Redlands. In my local government area, I didn't need to knock on your door. Policy was we did knock on your door. But to the letter of the law, I didn't need to knock on your door to go to your backyard to check out to see if your dog's registered. I was an authorised officer. I could go wherever I want. And so when I would give tickets, they'd say, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, actually I can because I'm authorised under this section, blah, 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 blah. And verse 18 here is not just to fill word count that Matthew's trying to do, but instead it's a reminder that God commissions us to go. This scripture isn't placed here as a, matter, as a reminder of the, of the one thing that we fail to do, because sometimes we avoid this because it's the one thing we fail to do. Instead, this scripture is placed here to be a constant reminder that He has given us authority and that He has commissioned us to make disciples. The word commission is a military term. It means to give an officer authority. So when you put him or her in a position, when you commission someone, you give them authority to function in that position. The definition of commission is legally transferred authority. Legally transferred authority. Jesus is legally, by God's right, transferring authority to us to go and make disciples. 
Again, this is not a scripture that we intend to create condemnation because instead of the great commission, sometimes, most of the time, it's the great omission in our life. But, the, uh, but, but, but instead, the author wants us to see the scriptures as a continued thought from Jesus as a reminder that we have the authority to go and make disciples. So as you walk into your workplace tomorrow, go. You're, understand this, you're an authorised, commissioned officer of God. As you walk into university tomorrow, you are an authorised officer commissioned by God. As you walk through the shopping centre this afternoon, you walk as an authorised, commissioned officer by God. I'm going to throw this in for 30 seconds. Is that all right? I kind of got this in the last couple of days. I know time's flying, but here's some extra this. Previous to this, Matthew 28 verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. The Bible doesn't sit there and go, so Jesus walked in and said, right, those that doubt on my left, those that don't doubt on my right, I'm going to commission you. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he still commissioned them. It didn't separate those that don't believe to those that do believe. Didn't go, right, you're down there, this is not for you. Didn't, didn't separate them. I know, I, know, I know doubt can sometimes get in the road of us fulfilling the Great Commission. And we're still navigating some things in our life and so we automatically press pause on evangelism or being involved in community. But according to this scripture, doubt is acceptable for commissioned disciple makers for Jesus. I have some great moments of wrestling with God, but I do not allow it to stop me from making disciples. Secondly, as a team can come, the keyboard always makes my voice sound so much better. (laughs) Secondly, he instructs them and us what discipleship is. There's a, there's a lot of debate here around theologians and some will say, hey, this, you know, this kind of is for discipleship and some will say, well, this is for evangelism. I actually think it's both and all. I don't think it's just for those who want to make disciples or just for those who want to be evangelistic. I think this scripture actually is for both. I think it's for those, for those who want to have a life of discipleship and for those who, who believe evangelism is discipleship. It says, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this part of Scripture speaks firstly of evangelism. And Jesus explains this specific goal for us, his followers, when he says in Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. He didn't say follow me and then go sit in church for the next 25 years of your life, enjoying the karaoke and the good coffee. He said, follow me. In other words, if you've made a decision, I'm going to make you fishers of people. If you've accepted me, I'm going to make you fishers of people. Matthew 28 is a follow-up to that scripture with instructions for us to us to fish for people. However, with Christians consistently divorcing evangelism from discipleship, is it any wonder there is a decline in people who fish for people? And yet Jesus makes it very clear in the scriptures that you and I are to be, are to be actively fishing for people. And right about now, there's potentially some people in this room who, who because I use the word evangelism, you're kind of getting a bit squirmish. It's right about now that, oh, I think I've got to the toilet. <laughs> Scared that they may have to potentially speak to people. And that's a fair assumption because commonly the term evangelism is, is restricted to the verbal communication of the good news about Christ. And for some of us, that's no issue. For some of us, we'll stand up on an aeroplane when it sits on the tarmac for 40 minutes, thanks Jetstar, and preach the Gospel. <laughs> but for some of us, that's a real problem. And I get it. Can I suggest to those that are perhaps verbally scary because verbally scary have lived life for many years without going fishing, maybe you can look at evangelism in a different way. 
the way that author and professor Dean Fleming puts it when he says this, evangelism means the invitation through word, deed and example for people to follow Christ with their whole lives as a part of the Christian community. Recently retired senior pastor and author of probably one of the most greatest selling Christian books, Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren backs this thought of Fleming. When asked in an interview how he encourages his congregation, Saddleback Church, in personal, evangel- in, in personal evangelism, considering that the church is just full of new converts every day, every, every Sunday. And Rick's response was interesting. He said, Saddleback has never instituted a formal evangelism program. Instead, he tells people to write down what you love to do most and then go do it with unbelievers. Write down what you love to do most and then go do it with unbelievers. Whatever you love to do, turn it into an outreach. Rick went on to explain, they tell new believers that if they love playing bridge, I've got no idea what bridge is. Drive over them. If you love playing bridge, invite your unsafe friends. If it's Monday night football, keep watching Monday night football as long as you invite over the non-church friends. And I said, if we stay engaged in our relationship, then it's only a matter of time until we have an opportunity to share the story of our faith journey. Maybe your friend will mention his economic woes or his frustration with his teenager. Both are open doors to offer prayer, our testimony or some humble godly wisdom. Just keep the relationship, pray for your friends and wait for doors to open. When Jesus told His disciples to go and make disciples of, 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 of nations, none of them thought He meant for them to go and gather up all those that already believed and just start a little discipleship group. They knew it was a call to evangelise even though word and or even, even through word or deed are an example. The same is being commanded of us today. It says, teaching them to observe all that I've committed to you. This part of Scripture of discipleship is both a call to follow Jesus and a call to fellowship with others. So what does it look like in regards to activity? Man, how do we, like if, if Jesus is uh, t- telling us to teach them how to observe, what does that look like, Brad? First to follow Jesus. You know, following Jesus is one of those religious phrases that is used so much that perhaps we've forgotten what it even means. Following Jesus for me means that what we believe, His words, are, that, that we're shaped by Scripture. That's why I'm always in my Bible because I want, I want Scripture to shape me. I don't want the world to shape me. I want to be shaped by Scripture. That's what being a follower of Jesus is like. Uh-uh, you know, and if you, if we can't use excuses that we're not reading. Man, we've got so many technical technology things around us right now that we cannot avoid Bible stuff now. And so I use, I want to be shaped by Scripture. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that we, our lives are shaped by Scripture. We imitate His character. Remember the WWJD bands? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying we bring them back because I wouldn't wear one. But maybe, maybe it's an imprint in our mind that we've got to, what would Jesus do right now? As my, so many times Jesus, opposite spirit to the Pharisees. What would Jesus do now if someone cuts me off in traffic? What would Jesus do now? And this is what it means to be shaped by God. To follow Jesus means to surrender our lives and our wills to follow His. Jesus put it this way, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Secondly, the call to fellowship with others. So when He, when he talks about teaching, He's talking about, hey, come on guys, it's, it, it, let Scripture shape you. Like, act how I act. Fellowship with others is another. Fellowship with others. 
when it comes to our discipleship. I just think we're better together. I really do. There's a reason why God saw man alone in the garden and, and, and said, it's not good that man's alone. That's why I brought a travel partner with me. She's nine years old, but she's like a mini my wife. And she goes, okay, Dad, I'm gonna get your clothes ready for tomorrow. I'm like, yes. That's why, God, thank you. Because I'm hopeless alone. I probably would have rocked up in board shorts and a singlet this morning if I, if I hadn't had her. I think God wants us to pursue fellowship as we go on a journey of discipleship. Because it's in fellowship that we learn to serve each other. I'm pretty confident that everyone in this room has a need. <laughs> Just put it out there. The most people around you have some sort of situation going on in their world where they just need someone to help serve them. You know, serve each other. Encourage one another. The, the word in the Bible literally means to lift the spirits or to cheer up because we all have days where we're discouraged. It's no, life that, it's no secret that life's tough. KPIs and all these things. And you know, you just gotta look at the news and the media around finance stuff and what's going on in the world and demands in our time and constantly. It's just a constant, we live in this constant world of take, take, take. And sometimes we just need someone to help top us up through an encouraging message or text. Hebrews 3 verse 13 says, but, in, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage people. Accountability. This is all part of discipleship, accountability. When we have healthy relationships, we have, we have healthy accountability. Because of sin, we are born with a sinful nature. Romans 3.23 says that. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Some people say that, we, that the sinful nature is because of the fall and because of that we took on a sinful nature. Others say that it's a sinful nature. It wasn't something that was added to us, but it's, it's a subtraction of His holiness. Or whatever, way you, whatever way you butter the bread, regardless of how you butter the bread, regardless of where you stand, the result is, it urges us to sin. And if you couple that urge to sin with someone who wants to do life alone, it's a really dangerous mix. But you had relationship or accountability to our sinful nature and you, you have balance. And that's why when I go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning, I'm always going with someone because it's a five o'clock session. I go by myself. Let me tell you, I hit snooze 27 times and I get up at 8.30. But if I know I've got a mate, 5 a.m. sitting out there, gym, cold, I'm there. Can I be really frank in this place? Right? Is, that, is that okay? Let me say this. We are all one step away from stupid. We need accountability. When there is a relationship, there is more of a chance of accountability. Pray for one another. I'm thankful for the prayers of my tribe. Discipleship is a call to fellowship with others. Discipleship is, is and always has been a group project. Join a life group. If you're not in a life group right now, then we're gonna have an altar call for you at the end of the service. But if you're not in a life group, man, you need to get in a life group. I know Dale is gonna be at the end of this. The best thing I did was join a life group. I just think we're better together. You know, as, as the church gets larger, we've got, to, we've got to invoke communities to get smaller because this can be shallow sometimes. We've got lunch plans, we've got this, we've got that. And so we, but it's in those places we go a little bit deeper. We get to ask questions, sharpen, iron sharpens iron in those moments. Come on, join a life group. Lastly, I love this. It says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And this scripture speaks of God's presence constantly with us. My son-in-law had, uh, had an accident in his car and the team can join me if they want, thank you. Uh, and I had to take him to get a rental car while he's got fixed. And so, and anyone ever rented a car? It's kind of like they're pretty, they're pretty adamant. Hey, if you're not a driver, listen, don't drive. 
And so I wasn't a driver listed on. And so my daughter, uh, we look after my we look after our granddaughter a couple of days a week. And so she come over and we we we, we don't really swap cars because putting car seats in is just such a hassle. Man, I love it. it's just such a hassle. And so so she takes so she's got this car. She brings her car that's the that's the rented car because her car's getting fixed. She takes our car to work. And it just sits there and I realise I've got, I've, got I've got an appointment in half an hour's time at the best cafe in all the Gold Coast called Starbucks. <laughs> and I realise I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm not a driver. What, what do I do? Would you, like it's, it's, a, it's a kilometre away. I'm thinking shin splints, pulled hamstrings, all those kind of stuff. Can't, do, can't walk. I'm like, I'm, I'm in this, man, what do I do? I, if I drive this car, I'm not covered. I risked it. I jumped in. Let me tell you, I drove at 30 kilometres an hour. <laughs> driving Miss Daisy. I'm like, stopping and 50 metres stop. You know, sat down, had coffee with this guy. And I made sure it was locked every five minutes because I didn't want anyone to steal it because I'm, I'm, it's not covered. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not covered. Went home and well, my daughter comes home, takes her car. That day I had another coffee appointment. My car was home and so got in the car. And man, Chez's car, not my car, I don't have a car. Got in Chez's car. And man, I've got that thing sideways around a corner. I'm going, I'm driving down 80 kilometres an hour in a 30 zone. Man, there's no rubber on this thing. I'm just, and I realised, man, I'm driving this thing different. The only difference being is that one of them I wasn't covered and this one I know that I'm covered. And sometimes we live life like that. I mean, God's got you. And sometimes we play life safe. We don't want to go to work. We don't want to do it. But let me tell you, God's got you. Don't play life safe. As you go make disciples, be reckless in a good way, knowing that He has you. I'm going to finish here. William Mount says this in a a lecture on the Great Commission. Emphasis that God's will for every Christian is to make disciples in obedience to Jesus' command. We spend a lot of time in various stages of our life wondering about the will of God. It was the number one question I was asked when I was teaching. What's the will of God? Do you want to answer that question? Is it really, it's really simple. The will of God is that you make disciples. There, period, end of discussion. No more wasted time about the will of God. God's desire is that you be a disciple, that you pursue sanctification and that you make more disciples. God's will for your life and mine is that we become learners, that we become followers of Jesus Christ, that we become disciples and then make more disciples. Steve Murrell, leave you with this thought. Steve Murrell, pastor and author of the book titled Wiki Church, says this, Where do you go when you need information? Like millions around the world, I go straight to Wikipedia, the world's largest free online encyclopedia. The wiki part of Wikipedia is from the Hawaiian word meaning quick. While it may seem as though Wikipedia has, has had quick success, it was actually a bit of an accident. In 2000, Jimmy Wales and Larry Singer started an online encyclopedia called Newpedia. The goal was it for to include contributions written only by experts before an article could be posted on Newpedia. It had to go through an extensive scholarly review process. And that strategy proved to be painstakingly slow when Newpedia unplugged its servers in 2003. Only 24 articles had been posted and 74 in the review process. There were, so, there were not very many articles, but they were very scholarly and professionally written. In 2001, one year after Newpedia launched, the same guys, Wales and Singer, started Wikipedia as a feeder system for Newpedia. The idea was to allow non-pros, non-scholars, non-experts to write articles that the Newpedia scholars would review. The articles would then make their way through the extensive Newpedia approval process. And by the end of 2001, volunteers had submitted more than 20,000 
wiki articles. It took the experts three years to create 70, 24 articles and the non-experts one year to create 20,000 articles. At the time of writing this, contributors from around the world have submitted more than 17 million Wikipedia articles. And according to an independent survey, most are as accurate as traditional encyclopedia entries written by recognised experts. Steve Murrell then goes on to say, unfortunately, many Christians today function more like Newpedia than Wikipedia in that they think making disciples or going is only for the credentialed professionals. It's up to them to lead evangelism and discipleship efforts while we will show up and we will pay up, but we won't engage in serious ministry. But imagine if the solution was reversed. Imagine if every believer, not just paid leaders, were engaged in ministry, were engaged in the call to go. That is a wiki church. That's what Jesus was calling His disciples to both on that hill in Matthew and right now in this room. Elevation, will you go and make disciples? Father, we just thank You. Come on, stand up right across this place. Father, I thank You. Lord God, let discipleship burn in our hearts. And Father, I want to come on behalf of the church, capital C, not this church, but the church. Lord God, where we've just sat back and thought that this wasn't our job. And today, Lord God, I pray for a new dawn, a new dawn, a line in the sand moment for this church, for Elevation Church. One that says it's not just for the paid professional. One that says it's not just for the credential. One that says it's not just for the person who, the ministry leader, but one that says, you know what? Discipleship is all of us. So Father, I pray today that this Word, Lord God, let it take seed, Lord God, let it burn in the heart of every man, woman and child in this building. Lord God, let it challenge us. Let us understand that we are fully commissioned officers of God. That as we walk into our universities and our workplaces tomorrow, that we go with a full commission of who you are. Lord God, I pray, Father, that we're not going to hide behind evangelism. It's not my gift. It's not the, we're not going to hide behind that anymore, Father, but we are going to go out in the world, whether it by word, whether it by deed, whether it by action, and we are going to be evangelists where you may place us. Father, we want to come together as a community where there's encouragement. Iron sharpens iron. Because, Father, we want to be a wiki church. We just don't want to leave it to the ones or the twos, but Lord God, we will understand that all of us have this responsibility. So Father, I pray right now and I commission this church to be a disciple-making church. I commission this church to be a disciple-making church. I commission this church right now, Father, to be a disciple-making church. Just as every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I don't want to take for granted everyone here has a faith or has a belief in, in Jesus. I'm going to hand back to Sam in just a moment, but before I do, I do want to create an invitation for you. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that He has set eternity in the hearts of every man, woman and child. And just as every head is bowed in His place, every eye is closed, what does that mean? That means that in your heart right now, there's a little, there's a little area of your heart that is only designed to be filled by God. 
It's only designed to be filled by God. And if you're not in a relationship with Him, then it's, then, well, He's not there. Then there's always going to be this struggle in your world. The key to a flourishing life, that's what we're all after, is having that space filled by God. And it can only be filled by God. You can't put anything else in there. Trust me, I tried drugs and alcohol and all these things. But it wasn't until God got in there that my life began to flourish. And maybe you're in this place this morning and you've been trying to fill that hole, that, 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 that gap. Maybe you've been trying to fill that with things of success and finance and wealth or whatever it is. But I want to tell you, friend, unless you fill it with Jesus, you'll always, always, always have an empty feeling. So if you're in this place this morning and you're saying, Brad, I want, man, I want to fill it with, with Jesus. Just as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I just love for you, just lift your hand right now. I'll see that hand and I'll pray for you where you are. I won't embarrass you, it won't be a spotlight. But I'll just simply say a prayer with you. But I'd love to lead you in that prayer. If that's you in this place right now, say, yes, brother, I want to invite Jesus into my life. Maybe you've walked away from Him and there's been a season where you just haven't been engaged with Him. If that's you in this place, just a few more moments, just a few more moments. Just a few more moments. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, elevation. Can I get us to lift our hands in this place right now? All of us, right in there. Thank you, Jesus. God, let today be a line of the sand moment. We want to be disciple makers. Father, we commission. We commission each and every single person in this place today. And Father, I thank you in advance for the stories that we're going to hear of people who walk into the universities, into their workplaces. And Lord God, the stories of salvation that are going to come out of that. So Father, we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.